Hello everyone. Welcome to my show Curry Up Startup Podcast, a podcast to spotlight Asian entrepreneurs and interesting people that I meet in my life. This is Priyanka Komla, your host of Curry Up Startup Podcast. A seasoned diplomat, a strong leader, a proponent of diversity and inclusion, a mother. Nadia Theodore is my special guest for today's Curry Up Startup Podcast. Curry Up Startup Podcast is focused on promoting Asian leaders but also interesting people that I meet in my life. And Nadia is one of those special people. As a woman, as a woman of color who's carved a niche for herself, she's a strong role model for women like me personally. And I believe she'd be a great speaker for our podcast today. Nadia, welcome to my show. Thank you, Priyanka. I'm very excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me. So to talk about Nadia, Nadia Theodore was appointed as the Council General of Canada in Atlanta in September 2017 with accreditation for Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee as well. As Council General, Ms. Theodore is the Government of Canada's senior diplomat in the Southeast USA. And Nadia is a very seasoned public service person as she served in several leadership roles. Prior to her appointment as Council General, Ms. Theodore served as the Chief of Staff and Executive Director to Canada's Deputy Minister of International Trade. She's also served at Canada's Permanent Mission to the World Trade Organization and at Canada's Permanent Mission to the United Nations, both in Geneva and Switzerland. With over 20 years of experience in the Canadian Federal Public Service, Council General Theodore has built a reputation for forging strong partnerships with government and business leaders and building strong multidisciplinary teams. As a big proponent of advancing inclusion in the workplace, she's somebody that I really admire. Nadia, I see you wearing multiple hats. You know, as I mentioned, you are a seasoned professional, a diplomat, a strong leader, a person who strongly believes in diversity and inclusion, and a family woman as well. How do you see yourself? Ah, how do I see myself? Um, I would say that I see myself as a work in progress. <laughs> um, you know, uh, on, on the diplomat side, I love my job. I, I love what I do. I love being a public servant for the government of Canada. And most days in that role, I see myself as generally effective. You know, um, there are times, of course, when I miss the policy details and the policy discussions of past work lives uh, when I was when I was serving in 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 Ottawa at headquarters or or in Geneva, which was much more policy focused. Um, and you know, like anybody else, I think in in these types of roles, there are times when I wonder if I'm making a difference, if I'm you know making any sort of concrete difference in people's lives, which is always something that I wanted to do. Um, so, so yeah, and on, on the diversity and inclusion side, you mentioned diversity and inclusion in the introduction, you know, for me, that's really not a choice that I have. Um, and the fact that it's not really a choice really does keep kind of rearing its head, uh, regardless of whether I, I wanted to acknowledge it or not. Um, you know, what I look like really affects the way that I move in the world. It affects people's first and further impressions of me. Uh, it affects people's impressions of the way that I move in the world, uh, at work, in my personal life, etc. Uh, and, you know, that's whether they want to admit it or not. I think a lot of times people don't really want to admit 
um, that, you know, the way that somebody looks uh, has something to do with your perception of that person and, 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 and the traits that you attribute to how they move in the world and how they do their job or how they conduct themselves in their private lives. But it does. Um, and so the fact that I am a black woman um, from Canada means something. Um, and, and the black part and the woman part is something that people see when, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, when they first meet me, uh, and, and, and that matters. And it's, and it's not really a choice that I have. I can't, I can't change those traits about me. Uh, so, so it is what it is. And, uh, and, you know, as a mom, I see myself as, you know, trying, trying, trying her best. My, my child is really my pride and joy. I, I, I don't talk about, um, I don't talk about it a lot. I, I find that private life kind of should stay private, but, um, but it really is, it really is my biggest joy to be a mom. Um, and, and I see myself very much as a mother, uh, first in, in many respects. Yeah. That's such a candid overview of your life. Uh, thanks Nadia. (laughs) You know, I have a, eight month old as well so okay oh I didn't realize that (laughs) oh yeah uh so I'm a new mom fantastic so you get it it's hard (laughs) true and you know as you rightly said your mother your mother hat is the first thing that comes to your mind every day as you make decisions about where you want to be how you want to spend your time I've started feeling that late uh you know my son takes priority over my life at least for now yeah it, well, that's exactly right. And you know, it's hard a lot of the times because I, I mean, I don't know about you, but me personally, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very happy mother and all the rest of it, but I actually was not, I'm not really a kid person. Um, it was never, I never really had a fairy tale dream of being a wife and a mother with a picket fence and all, you know, that kind of life. I, I uh, so I kind of stumbled into being a mom a little bit. Uh, and so it's hard. It's hard for that for that shift to happen, uh, and a little bit unconsciously because you know um, you almost can't control the fact that this person becomes your number one priority because you feel so strongly towards them um, that even though you might want to kind of push that down in order to plow through work wise, you, you can't bring yourself to do it. You know, <laughs> very true. And your instinct. Taken to be very protective of your kids, right? And we just carry it forward. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Yeah, but thank you for sharing uh, those insightful, uh, you know, pieces of wisdom on how you balance many aspects of your life. Now, talking about your childhood, you were born to immigrant parents. How did that shape your thinking about life, and what kind of values has that taught you? Yeah, so I grew up in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, which is the capital city of of my fantastic country. And that's right, both of my parents were born and raised in a small island called St. Lucia in the Caribbean, in the West Indies. And, um, you know, I would say, so my my dad immigrated to Canada. He first actually went to the United States. He did his first uh, bachelor's degree in the United States and then came to Canada to do a second degree and then his 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 master's, uh, and my mom immigrated to Canada under the domestic worker program that that Canada had in place at the time. Um, and you know, I would say that 
if I had to kind of choose the three most important values in my house growing up, I would say it was education, empathy, and respect. Um, those were, if I had to choose, those were kind of the top three values for, for, for in my house, at least. And I think, you know, for many children of immigrant parents, immigrant families, uh, that will probably resonate. People probably um, can, can relate to that. Both of my parents were very much, you know, make sure that you get your education. Nobody can ever take that away from you. You know, all of the cliches that we hear now. Uh, and they were kind of keep your head down and work hard type of people. They, they really wanted to build a middle class lifestyle for their family in Canada. My dad came from very, very, very humble beginnings. Um, but my mom, not so much. My mom is actually from, you know, I would say an upper class family in St. Lucia. Um, and so, you know, they, they came to Canada knowing who they were. They come from a majority experience, right? Um, so coming to a country where they are now in the minority um, with all of those loaded values associated with it, we were very much a keep your head down, work hard, um, get your education, but also we were taught to have respect for people, to have respect and empathy for everybody that we came across because we never knew, you, you never knew what people were going through. You never knew what people's circumstances were. Uh, and my parents were very much of the view that you treated people the way that you wanted to be treated, no matter what people look like, no matter how people spoke, um, you know, no matter what accent they had, uh, it was very important for them to have a, a certain degree of respect for everybody um, and an even bigger degree of respect for people in authority, people in, you know, in positions of authority. That was something that uh, that was a big that was big in my household. <laughs> and, you know, my mom did a lot of charity work through the church where we're Catholic. Um, my mom was very devout Catholic. She went to church every day of her life at, at noon hour at lunch. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that, 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 uh, that value of empathy was, was big. You know, she, she was the mom that um, would invite all of my out-of-town friends over for dinner um, during exam period, during, during university. Um, my cousins that came from Toronto to study in Ottawa for university lived with us. Um, you know, she was very much that that mother figure to many people in our extended family, and that kind of that kind of drives me today. You know, I'm to many of my friends the person that they will call when they need advice, when they just need to bounce an idea off of. Um, you know, when they're stuck with something and they need a, a hand. Uh, yeah, I'm very much the mother hen, I suppose, in 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 my friend group and in my family as well. And this idea of working hard and keeping your head down is something that has kind of been my mantra um, my entire career. Uh, hoping to change that a little bit, though, uh, now, that, now, now that I'm a little bit older and maybe a little bit wiser. Uh, but, uh, but it definitely has been my mantra, and it's gotten to me where I am today. So it's, it's worked fairly well, I suppose. I totally agree. And especially the three values that you mentioned, education, empathy, and respect. Uh, those resonate with all of our immigrant uh, upbringing. And, you know, I feel these are very uh, unique traits, Nadia. It might sound simple, but, you know, for example, empathy, that's now a novelty, right? Uh, 
Yes. You don't show it in your day-to-day life because you feel like you should be very task-oriented. Absolutely. But again, those are the soft skills that really make a difference in terms of who you are as a leader uh, and, you know, a friend, a mother, uh, you know, all these different hats that you wear. And I'm so glad you've really delved into uh, these different traits and are using it in your public service career. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You could thank my mom. <laughs> oh, I know. So how does, how, how does your mom feel now that you're a very accomplished person in your life? My mom passed away when, when I was uh, in university. Um, and she, you know, when I was in university and getting my, my second, my third degree, actually, was my master's degree when, 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 when she passed away. She was very much a, it's interesting, right? Because she came from, you know, a relatively well-off family in St. Lucia, but she was very much um, the parent that was, you know what, Nadia, do what makes you happy. I guess, you know, with privilege comes that, that, <laughs> that ability to just say, you know, do what makes you happy, you know, make sure that you're a good person, that you're a kind person, that, you know, you have time for yourself and family and friends and, you know, make sure that your career kind of gives you time for that. Whereas my father, who came from a very, very, very humble beginning um, and really could only afford to go to school, even in St. Lucia, due to um, uh, scholarships. And, and the same when he came to the United States for his first degree, he did that through a full scholarship. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been possible. Um, he was, in fact, the one that said, you know, in my, he had a rule, you weren't allowed to study any ologies, no sociology, no criminology, nothing like that. It had to be like a, a, a hard subject, law, medicine, engineering, you know, something, something that was going to make sure that you were, that you were, you know, that you were somebody. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, I think that my mom would be, would be very, very happy that I'm happy. Um, and the title and, 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 and the, the accomplishments, you know, would, would kind of be secondary. Um, and she would want to make sure, you know, are you making time to, she would, you know, she would make, she would want to know that I was happy and she would want to know that I'm making sure that, you know, my child gets to church um, <laughs> uh, things like that, you know, whereas my dad now he is, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't be prouder, but again, like immigrant parents, he would never say it to my face. I hear it through friends, you know, like, Oh my goodness, Nadia, your dad has pictures of you all over his refrigerator at home. Or, you know, I saw your dad at the, at the restaurant on the weekend and all he could talk about was you, uh, and what you're doing in Atlanta. And he's so proud of you. You know, you hear it. You hear it through uh, through the grapevine, you know, because they would they won't tell you to your face lest you get a big head. Uh. <laughs> it's really amazing, Nadia, and uh, you know, the feeling of being proud of your kids' accomplishments. I think that's what all all parents, uh, you know, feel proud about. And I'm quite sure your parents are very proud, and your mom must have been uh, so happy uh, to see how you're doing today. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for reminiscing those nostalgic memories for us. Uh, so I know at some point, Nadia, during your childhood, you wanted to be a writer, a teacher, and now I here did. you are in public service. So yes. tell us how you made this transition. And when you look back, do you ever feel that you could have chosen a different path if you had the opportunity? Yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You really did your research. Um, yes, I, uh, <laughs> I, 
you know, I have always, um, well, I, I did absolutely go through an evolution of career aspirations, I would say. So I wanted to be a teacher, a writer, then I wanted to be a sociologist, and then I wanted to be a criminologist. Uh, and then I went to law school, thought I was going to be a lawyer, uh, and now here I am, uh, a civil servant. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that the, the, the common thread, because, you know, I've had some time to kind of think about this over the, over the past few years, um, the common thread to all of that is that I really always wanted to serve people. I wanted to help. I wanted to connect with people, better understand people so that I could help them. Uh, and I think that, you know, especially criminology and sociology, which had I not had a dad that said no to any of the ologies, um, I would definitely would have pursued. Uh, that's what, you know, that's what that is. It's really about getting to know people, getting to know what makes them tick, getting to know what motivates them. And then, and then with that understanding, helping them and assisting them. Uh, and, and I get to do that in my job now. I get to do that as a senior leader in the public service. Uh, I get to do that representing my country abroad. Um, so it's not dissimilar to what my aspirations were along the way for my career. Um, but it, you know, it really does all, all go back to this idea of connecting with people, understanding people better in order to in order to to help them to serve that's amazing and making a career in public service i'm quite sure it comes with its own challenges as well so tell us this nadia as the council general what are your primary responsibilities and what does a day look like in your life yeah so i uh so i am i had canada's diplomatic mission to uh six states of the southeast usa and, you know, the primary responsibilities are really threefold. I represent Canada across those six states, uh, which you mentioned at the top of the show. Um, I'm responsible for protecting the interests of Canada and Canadians across those states. Um, of course, you know, within the limits permitted by, by, by the law. But, you know, that includes everything from um, well, my team issuing emergency travel documents, assisting Canadians during natural disasters, assisting Canadians um, who find themselves in trouble um, while they're across those six states. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, and frankly, this is, you know, what I would say is uh, most of my day-to-day -day work is really promoting relationships between the six states and Canada. Uh, and so that's done by developing economic, cultural types of relationships. Um, we have a big international business development team here that assists Canadians uh, and Canadian companies that are export ready, that are looking to export to the six states across the southeast. And so all of that work uh, is really what my day-to-day, -day, what the bread and butter is, building those relationships, those economic ties, those cultural ties, the security ties, um, in order to, at the end of the day, um, promote a positive relationship between Canada and, and the six states across the Southeast. So that sounds like a very fun and interesting job. What do you think is the best part of the job, Nadia? Ah, the best part for me would be the connecting with people part. 
I, I really, and we were talking about it earlier, um, you know, I really believe that bringing people together that otherwise might not have met, that otherwise, you know, might not have crossed circles, um, and seeing that positive impact, uh, either from a business perspective or otherwise, is really what makes me happy. That's kind of my, my, happy, my happy place. Um, you know, we've become, as we were talking about, we've become really transactional um, and so driven by KPIs and concrete deliverables and results that, you know, we sometimes assign lesser value to the relationship building part of things, the connecting part. Um, and it's so important. And, and I think that forgetting its importance, we all still do it, even those that are very focused on transactional interactions and, and KPIs, you know, we, they, they still do it, but they definitely assign a lesser value to that, to those connections and relationships. And I really, really think the best part of my job is remembering the importance of those relationships, remembering the importance of those connections. Um, because I think that forgetting its importance really has tangible long-term consequences for business, but for other for otherwise as well. You know, um, I really I really think that the health of our democracy, the health of the international um, system, uh, really depends on those connections and people understanding the importance of connections and of relationship building and of bridge building. I, I, I really think that the international democratic order uh, relies on it. And so to me, that's the best part of my job. The best part of my job is being able to, to drive that part of it um, and, 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 and to be able to assign value to those relationship building and, and bridge building activities. I agree. Nurturing relationships is key. The trait that you've imbibed in yourself through your childhood upbringing, which is empathy, ties in really well in terms of connecting people and really understanding who they are and how you can uh, you know, help each other succeed. So what do you think is the... Go ahead, Nadia. No, I was just saying you're exactly right. Like it's that's bang on. Yeah, 100%. So what do you think is the least favorite part of the job? Do you have any? Yeah, <laughs> the least favorite part. Um... Well, you know, the least favorite part is actually uh, a function of the best part of the job. So the least favorite part of the job, I would say, is the demand on my time. Um, you know, I, there, there's a team of, we are a team of 25 people here um, in, in the office, and balancing that internal leadership role um, with the team of 25 people and then the external leadership piece, um, you know, unlike pretty much any other job, I would say the, the heavy outward facing component is, is the job and it's equally as important as the internal leadership piece. And so balancing that is tricky. It's tricky. And it's more tricky for me because I love both parts. So I think that if I, if I had a preference for either the internal leadership or the outward facing stuff, um, you know, you would naturally gravitate towards one and make more time for that, for that piece. But I actually love both parts of it. And so 
I tend to want to spend equal time on both, um, which means that there's not a lot of extra time for anything else. <laughs> and, and, and I will say, and, and it really also, and I'm recognizing that more and more um, just recently, I would say, frankly, over the past six to eight months, it really also means that you have to be very intentional about carving out that time, carving out that time to think, carving out that time to plan your strategy, plan, carving out that time to, to take care of yourself, both mental health and physical health. Um, you have to be intentional about it and frankly, a little bit selfish, right? And, and that's hard, uh, certainly for me. I'm kind of a people pleaser, uh, say yes to everything kind of person. And um, so that's, that's been hard. That's been hard. And, and 2020 is going to be the year that I get better at it. So watch the space. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, I, I really agree with you in terms of self-care for women like us seems to be more of an afterthought because we place everybody else's preferences, uh, you know, we give them more priority. But off late, I realized that if I'm happy, I take care of myself, I have more energy and enthusiasm to really serve people around me. Exactly. That's exactly right. And you know, you also, you, you teach people how to treat you, right? And so if you don't place your physical and mental health um, as a priority and demonstrate that to people, then they don't know that it's a priority for you, right? Um, and so you, you know, you, you have a responsibility to make sure that people know that that is important to you and that you're going to make time for it no matter what. Uh, and then usually people will very happily respect that. You said it very well. Now tell me this, Nadia. Uh, I know time management is a challenge for most of us, uh, but what what do you do for fun? Like when you get a few minutes here and there, what yeah, makes you uh, happy? I love to read. Um, I am a bookworm. <laughs> Um, I am very much a bookworm. So any extra time that I have is usually spent reading. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I do exercise because that's a way to sort of clear my head and make sure that, um, that I stay healthy. So, so I do, I do exercise and I enjoy it. I, I do enjoy it. But when I have real downtime and I'm looking to kind of have fun, um, I, I do love to read and, and I love to dance. So when I, the very few times that I have been able to actually get out on a weekend, um, my favorite thing to do would be to have dinner with friends and, and then go dancing. I love it. It makes me very, very happy. <laughs> That's amazing to hear. Hey, Nadia, the other side. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not, uh, I, you know, I have, I have no problem. You know, I come from West Indian parents. I come from Caribbean parents. So, um, <laughs> and, 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 and a dad actually, who was a musician um, before he was an economist. So um, he, uh, he plays almost every instrument that you can think of and sings. Um, and so I come from a very musical family on that side of the family. And so music has always been super important to me and, and enjoying music has always been important to me. So I do, I love to dance. So people here in the office, sometimes they'll see me, you know, if, I, if it's a Friday and I'm, and I'm trying to, trying to get some paperwork done, I'll put music on in, in my office and, Sometimes they'll catch me doing like a little jig in my office and they'll all laugh at me. <laughs> you know what? It's funny, Nadia. That explains the meaning of your name as per the Urban Dictionary. Yes. What is it? 
is it like more like a fun, crazy person who loves to, you know, be happy? Yes, that's actually, yes, that's exactly right. I think I read that. Yeah, that's me. It, it definitely that's is me. <laughs> quite sure your parents have thought through before they gave you the name Nadia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know what, Nadia, uh, you know, when you speak with diplomats or, uh, you know, people in public service, you always have this kind of assumption or, or maybe stereotype them that they would yeah. be in a certain way or act in a certain way. Hey, but you are breaking barriers here and being very candid about you as a person, which we really, really adore. So thank you for unveiling the real idea. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. It is, it is a little bit unconventional, I know. Um, yeah. and I, the jury's maybe still out whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but, uh, but uh, yeah, being authentic is, you know what, being inauthentic is exhausting. Um, I tried it and it was exhausting. And so I decided not to do it anymore. Um, so. You know, that, that brings us to a very interesting topic. You know, as a woman, as a woman of color, as you're rising through the ranks of leadership, you got to act in a certain way, you got to behave in a certain way is what people think. Mm-hmm. But tell me, as you as a you know, young woman who started her career, how was life back then? And how do you think the work landscape has evolved to be more accepting of women of color being in leadership roles? Yeah, I, you know, so full disclosure, I am a hopeless optimist. So I, I see it as very optimistic. And I know, you know, many people who will listen to this will vehemently disagree with me and provide many examples to the contrary. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do see, um, you know, at least the first signs of those of us who are um, different than what has traditionally been around a senior level uh, decision-making table, um, being unapologetic about being different. You know, still being um, willing to work within the system. Listen, I always say to people, I, you know, I am a people pleaser. I, I know that about me. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I try to push back on that a little bit, but you know, it is who I am. I do like to bring people together and build bridges and I'm a middle child. um, So that's my nature. And, you know, I'm not an activist, right? I I work for the public service. I enjoy working for the, for the public service. And I, and I believe that it's important to have activists. Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and all the other activists, um, whose shoulders I stand on. So, so that is very important, but it's also important to have people that work within the system. Um, and that's, that's where I have decided to be and, and, and to play my part. And so I do see um, a little bit more room within the system to be vocal, right. Um, to challenge people a little bit, um, uh, to push when needed, to, to see that, that diversity, that equity, uh, and that inclusion. Um, and especially, you know, being abroad and heading a diplomatic mission abroad, you do have a certain degree of autonomy uh, to really shape the way that your mission, that the office functions, um, and, and what activities you prioritize and how you execute those activities. And so, I, and, I, and, I, and I feel like, especially or maybe I'll speak for Canada, maybe not especially, but for Canada, 
I do feel like um, I have been given that leeway, you know, and people now know that I am very committed to diversity and to equity and to inclusion. Um, and not just for, you know, people that look like me, black women. Yes, I want to see more of people that look like me around the table, but it includes the LGBTQI community. It includes people with disabilities, per persons with disabilities. It includes, um, you know, everybody that traditionally hasn't had a voice at the table. How do we amplify those voices? Uh, and how do we make people feel that once their voices are amplified, that people are actually listening? And I feel like that is being done more than when I started out. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example maybe to, to, to illustrate it. So you mentioned at the top that I was uh, served as the chief of staff to the deputy minister of international trade, um, which for American listeners is kind of like loosely um, the equivalent of your deputy. Deputy Secretary of uh, Commerce, I guess, um, or your or your USTR, your Deputy USTR, uh, and you know, so I used to sit around that table of the highest-ranking civil servants across my government. Um, and frankly, sorry, I wasn't sitting at the table; I was sitting in back, taking notes for my deputy. Right, I was his chief of staff, mm -hmm. and there was nobody at that table that looked like me. Zero, nobody. Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't even picture people that would be in the pipeline that looked like me to be sitting at that table, frankly, to be super frank. And, you know, that has changed. There's still nobody that looks like me sitting around the table. Um, but I can see people in the pipeline. I can see people in the pipeline. Um, you know, I can see people in the pipeline look, that look like me that will eventually uh, hopefully, if we all continue to push, be sitting at that decision-making table at the highest levels of the public service. And so that, you know, that gives me optimism. Hey, that's a very great example, uh, you know, a situation where you've been through it. And, you know, sometimes I've, I've been in those situations myself, like when you sit in a room where nobody looks like you, and you're like the only brown person in the... It was initially challenging for me, but over a period of time, you know that as a leader, you got to be in situations uh, like those and face it strongly and make sure that your voice is being heard. Yeah, I wish things could have been a little different is to have more role models who could pull you up. Yeah. And somebody who comes from your culture who really understands your perspective. Yeah. Uh, but you have to come by. And that's one of the reasons I've, I've, you know, I've pushed myself to be a STEM advocate for, for more women, for more young girls who look like me and... Uh, who don't have role models for themselves. So, uh, you know what, Priyanka, you're so, you know what, Priyanka, you're so right because, you know, the one thing that, and I, you know, I admit that, my, my, that I was maybe a bit naive, but um, when I started in this role, the one thing that hit me within the first three months was the amount, and then even more so at six months and then a year in, the amount of emails that I received or, you know, messages on LinkedIn or, or Twitter or, um, yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter because I'm not on Facebook, but um, saying, wow, thank you so much just for being you. <laughs> I can't believe that you are representing Canada abroad, you know, that you're heading a diplomatic mission and you look that, you know, that you're a black woman. I didn't 
you know, I didn't even know you existed. Who are you? Thank you so much, you know. Um, and, and you could tell that people crave role models. You know, it sounds like a cliche because we use it so much, but it, it is really true that you can't be what you can't see. Um, and so that's part of what has spurred me to be a little bit more, a little bit more vocal um, about my role, about what the role is, about how I got here and what the challenges are and what the joys are to show people, uh, young people in particular, um, but even people who are, you know, mid-career and people who thought, you know, that maybe they, they couldn't go into something that looks like diplomacy or looks like public service, um, to show them that, you know, there, there are role models out there. Um, maybe very few of us, but, but there are, there are a few. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. It's really, really important. And I think that sometimes it's hard, um, because again, that put your head down and work hard mentality, uh, takes over, but, um, but I've been learning to poke my head up a little bit more often. Hey, that's the need of the hour. And I'm so glad you're doing it for all of us. Thank you. So I know you're a very optimistic person, Nadia, but have you ever had a low moment in your life where you had to reevaluate what you were doing? Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it was, um, so I've been pretty lucky in my personal, you know, life. Um, I've got great friends, you know, my, my best friends I've known since I was four years old and 10 years old. And, you know, I've got a good, uh, I've got a good, I've got a good squad, so to speak. Um, but, you know, work-wise, um, when I started, I was really lucky um, because I worked for a group for a very long time that was very family oriented. Um, and when I say that, I mean, we were like a family. Um, and I think that that contributed, I mentioned it earlier that, you know, I might be a little bit naive about these things, or might have been a little bit naive, naive about um, work, work related things and, and the impact of work um, on your life. But I think it's because I had, I was part of this special niche um, unit at work for a very long time. And when I left that cocoon, so to speak, um, it was hard. And there was a certain point in time where um, where things were not not good. Uh, and I I really uh, learned very hard lessons about about what we were talking about earlier about the judgments that people make uh, about you because of the way that you look. Um, and, you know, the very real fact that as a woman, and especially as a brown or black woman, there is very little room for error. Uh, <laughs> uh, I agree. Yeah, there's really very little room for error. And, you know, it, 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 it's difficult to talk about because it almost seems like you're putting blame on somebody or, you know, a group of people or you know, and, and that's not it at all, because I think that people don't necessarily do it consciously, right? I guess that's why they call it unconscious bias. Um, bias exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but there really is, um, you know, as, as, as a black or brown woman, I really was confronted with the very hard fact that 
Um, people thought that I was here mainly because I was a woman and because I was brown, a black, you know, um, people really thought that I was here because I was a woman and because I was filling some sort of diversity higher thing. Um, and so their expectation was that I wouldn't do well. Uh, and they were very, um, they were all too willing to, uh, to play out that expectation, um, you know, via every misstep that I might have made. Because everybody missteps and everybody makes, makes mistakes and nobody's perfect, right? So that was hard. It was really hard. And it was hard to realize that, you know, people that, that you had expected to support you. And I've talked a little bit about this in, in, in other interviews. People that you expected to support you or that would support you to your face might not be supporting you behind, behind the scenes or, you know, when the boardroom door is closed. Um, and that's, you know, that's the conversation that we're having globally now, the, the difference between being um, a mentor and an advocate, um, mm-hmm. very, very different. Uh, you know, but it also, frankly, um, really showed me that I do have people who are advocates for me, who really, the people who knew me, the people who really knew me, who knew my work. Um, and who, with whom I had worked closely with before, knew who I was, knew what type of leader I was, knew what was important to me. And they were very much advocates for me during that time. And that made it a lot easier, but it was really, really hard. I, 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 I'll be super honest. It was really hard, um, both personally for me, but also I think, um, for the way that I saw myself in my organization. Um, because again, up until that point, I had been a little bit naive about it, I think. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's the whole, that's what a leadership journey is and a career journey is all about, right? Learning to navigate that and, and, and learning lessons from it and, and understanding what you need to do better, um, what others need to do better and recognizing that the others, you can't control what the other people do. You can only control what you do, right? You can only control um, how you move in the world and how you move um, uh, and, and react to things. And, and so, yeah, yeah. So I, I look back on it now thinking that it was actually, yes, the hardest thing that I had gone through, but probably the best thing ever. Yeah. That's a very remarkable way of looking at your life, Nadia. And I really love the enthusiasm that you bring in terms of the perspective. I agree. A lot of what you're saying resonates with my own career journey here. So thank you for sharing those insights. We've reached the section where we have a fun rapid fire round. Are you ready for it, Nadia? Mm. Okay, I'm ready. Tell us the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the following. Role model. Viola Desmond. Favorite book? Ooh, favorite book. As a- um, I know that's hard. Can I, can I have three favorite books? My first favorite book has to be Book of Negroes by Lawrence Hill, Canadian author. My second favorite book would be Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, who's an American author slash advocate and the uh, executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative. Um, look him up. He's fantastic and read his book. It's fantastic. Uh, and then my third favorite book is again from another Canadian, uh, another Canadian author, and the book is called Washington Black, um, and the author's name is Essie Adugian. 
Uh, and she's a Canadian author and Washington Black. She's written several several novels, but Washington Black is 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 my one of my all time favorites. That's really cool. Happiness. Oh, my kid. What does success mean to you? Moving. Oh, what does success mean to me? That's a good question. Okay, let's come back to that one. Let's come back to that one. (laughs) What is your native language and one word to describe yourself in it? Ooh, so my native language is English. That's the first language I I learned with French being a very close second. Um, And I would describe myself as complicated. Complicated. That would be the word that I would use. Um, that's a that's a very interesting way to look at your life. Yeah. Um, what does success mean to you? Do you think we have an answer for that? So success to me means you know what? Success to me means living out your passion. Living out what really and truly is important to you. Uh, however you can do that. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean being famous or having a big fancy title, um, but really understanding what your passion is, what makes you happiest, and then learning to live that out no matter what it is that you end up doing in your day-to-day job or your day-to-day life. That's, that's what success looks like. That's amazing. Nadia, I see you as a person who's very outgoing, yet humble, funny, definitely true to your name. You live up to those expectations. <laughs> somebody who's very strong and vocal about women, women in leadership and, uh, and somebody who's like very authentic in your own way, somebody who brings in a lot of credibility to what they say, yet being very humble about their beginnings and your life. I really enjoyed this conversation and I should definitely say I've, uh, I've recorded almost 15 to 20 episodes so far. And this has been one of those more, one of the most, fun-filled podcast where uh, I was truly myself and having a fun-filled guest like you uh, who, who took away her, you know, uh, her titles and what she does as a person and just having a fun, authentic conversation here uh, really made my day. Thank you. I had fun too. This is, this is super fun. Thank you so much for asking me. I really, I, uh, I really had a great time. This was really great. Thank you, Nadia. To Akari of Startup Listeners, so that was Nadia Theodore. Senior diplomat uh, who's doing wonderful work for Canada here in the US, the Council General of Canada at the Southeast USA as well. So thank you, Radia, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Priyanka. I really enjoyed the episode. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Nadia. Until another episode with another interesting guest, this is your host, Priyanka Komla, signing off from your Career Startup Podcast.